Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. Thank you, David. You may be seated. Good morning, church. I have to tell you that... uh, Singing these hymns as we've been doing in this period with the praise team on sabbatical, no instruments, just everything, a cappella. I mean, that, that resonates with me for several reasons, and I love the fact. I love to hear just a cappella singing, period. But aside from that, um, these hymns are marvelous in the weightiness of the lyrics, the theology, the doctrine that's there. I, I hope for those of you that are not used to hearing and singing hymns, I mean, I I grew up when the Christian contemporary music thing was taking off in the mid-90s. I didn't know a hymn from anything, and uh, but I've really grown to appreciate it over these many years, and I hope you, hope you are too. Uh, the last time we were here in Philippians 4, I began to put you on the path to peace and joy. And it is, after all, a biblical command. And as you know, everyone wants, everyone's looking for peace. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? We all want to feel happy. Pagans and demons want to be happy and at peace in their own way. Augustus, he was the famed Roman emperor. He heard that a gentleman of Rome, despite having a huge amount of debt, slept quietly and was at peace in the midst of his challenge with his debt. So the emperor decided to buy the bed that that guy slept on, because he figured if he slept in that bed, he'd have peace. Needless to say, that was a useless purchase by the emperor because peace is immaterial. You don't get it that way. The question is, how and where do you get real peace and joy? I remember as a real young kid, I. I grew up in the later stages of the Woodstock generation. I don't know if anyone's old enough besides me to remember that outside of watching documentaries that you guys might see. Um, It was peace, love, drugs, and rock and roll, man. Um, That was the mantra. And the hippies leading the anti-war movement at that time, of that generation, they were protesting, and they were protesting angrily in order to get peace, because that's how they wanted peace. I mean, that was ironic. And so they didn't get it either. They didn't make the right choice. And I I like something else about the Bible, so many things, but big time with Jesus and the gospel is you get choices. They often come in pairs. The Lord will often contrast two roads or paths to take from when we want or need something. An example. There's two kingdoms to choose from, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of Satan, Christ, the world, the word, death, or life. These are all choices that we can make. And they're all over the place. Wherever you turn, heaven or hell. And guess what? There are two different paths to peace and joy. Christ is one, and then everything else from this world is another one. Now, what does the world's peace look like? And where do we get it? It's pretty subtle. Some people might think, I have an insurance policy. I'm at peace. 
right? Maybe there'll be peace for my family after I pass on. The police. Maybe the police is an insurance policy of sorts when they're nearby. Uh, retirement account. If you have so much saved up, you got that good 401k, that's a peace blanket. Um, if you're anxious, though, if you're worried, don't worry, the world says. We'll give you peace. Um, Jesus said it's just a different kind of peace. He did say the world could give you peace. Just a different kind. Maybe for some folks it's home security systems. I can do whatever at home. I'm safe there. For others, it's money. For others, it's drugs. For others, it's alcohol. All those things and more, they're just pacifiers. They are temporary paths to peace of mind. Tragically, as you know, you read the headlines, many of them are celebrities and entertainers, and they find peace another way. Sometimes it's suicide, right? They say at the tombs it reads, rest in peace. But uh, that's not always the case, that they're resting. As I mentioned last time, Jesus knew his disciples were going to need some peace on that Thursday night, the night of the Lord's Supper, the Passover, before Good Friday was to begin, he told them he was going to be hated, persecuted, and executed, and so were they, eventually. So, you know, you know, talk about reasons for anxiety or worry. Well, Christ promised them peace. And in the midst of that, he did it with a promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He told them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, there you see it, do I give to you, let your, not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So that's the choice, in essence, from Jesus. That's the path to peace, it's not the world's. But if Jesus promises to leave us this peace, then how do we receive it? How do you make it yours? How do you get it? So what I want to do is, as we go to this text of Scripture with just two verses, we get the answer here, a practical path to peace and joy. But as we said last time, when we went through verses 4 and 7, 4 through 7, it comes together. So, so here's a key. Here's a key to practicing peace, which I would think you all would want, right? You'd be like, Pastor, give me the key. I want some peace. Let's read it together again. I'm going to start at Philippians 4. And we're going to read it together through verse 8. And you can read it out loud with me if you want. You don't have to. Um, I'm just going to read it so you get the background and every component, every element that's here coming together on this path to peace and joy. Starts in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, he said, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's finish it. What you have learned and heard and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's a tremendous passage of scripture. 
And it comes because Paul said being anxious or worrying is sinful. He actually is making that clear in the command because as the Lord Jesus also said, worry strikes at the heart of faith. You're doubting what God can do and who he is. It absolutely kills the peace and joy God wants you to have. And he wants you to have it always, even in the face of suffering and stress. And you might remember, he started to pave that peace with commands that you just heard that would give us comfort. Rather than be anxious, pray to God, petition him with your needs, do it in a spirit of gratitude, okay? And then there's a promise coming that you're going to get a peace that is higher than superior to anything the world can offer. So peace actually overlaps with the, Christ, with the Christian's joy. I want you to know that. It's a synonymous idea. It comes from prayer, talking to God, and then something else you're learning today. It comes from thinking. Talking and thinking. Talking to God and thinking. That's what this text is about. The second part is how we can obey the Lord's commands to be joyful and at peace even when we're in a trial, starting to feel anxious or worried. What you need to do is practice peaceful thoughts. That's how you can rejoice. So in this text, part of the bigger one, the passage that started the chapter, we have a command to think and we have a command to practice. Command to think and practice what we're thinking. Let's look at the first one, this command to think in verse 8 again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, he gives this list of eight things pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I like the way he starts that. He says, finally, brothers, it's like, there's one more thing I got to tell you before I get off this, this trip about peace and joy. So he says, finally, brothers, it's like a thus or a therefore here, tying into the prior passage. I got one more thing to tell you. Think about these things. In fact, in the, in the Greek, it's a continual present tense. Keep on thinking about these things in order for you to get the peace I'm promising you. Now, you think, Paul, is this indoctrination? Is this brainwashing? And guess what? In a way, it is. But as Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You're going to be brainwashed or indoctrinated, influenced by something out there, folks. You have to listen. Church, your minds don't live in a vacuum. That space is always being filled with thoughts and desires that lead to decisions. So the idea is where are they coming from? You're always being discipled. You're always being taught or led in some direction. So we're talking about choices. Again, who's going to disciple you? Are you going to follow either the Caesar of this world influenced by the enemy of our souls, right? He's under Satan, or Christ, by the Spirit and the Word. You see, whatever you think about most is what you're going to wind up being, that kind of person. What's going to most definitely shape you, your attitude and your heart, is what you most think about. When we talk about the heart, by the way, you should be reminded what the heart is. Even though the word in Greek is cardio, like you get cardiac from, it's not talking about the heart muscle. It's talking about who you really are, your soul, the real you. And that comes from God. And it's made up of three things, basically. Your heart is made up of the mind for thinking, the heart for feeling, 
and the will for choosing. Both Jews and the Greco-Romans, they always understood this, that these elements come together to form who you really are and what you do. And I think I might have a graphic of it behind me, a slide, but you think the mind, the heart, the will. The mind is deduction, the heart is desire, the will is decision. That's a way to really easily get your head around it. Deduction, desire, decision. So you have to guard that, as Paul said, your whole heart. What I compare it to, here's another acronym. I didn't come up with this. This predates me. It's old, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. Anybody who works with computers should be familiar with that. Whatever you put in is what comes out. And the applications, now I know you'll relate to this metaphor. Everything that's on your PC or your phone is only as efficient as the software that drives it, right? That's why you have to update them. You get updates from time to time. Your brain's no different. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, talks about the renewing of your... Right. What does it say there in Romans? Don't be conformed or molded into this world, but be transformed or be changed by the renewing of your mind. So as we get into this list, we're about to see, I'm not talking about, hey, the power of positive thinking. This is not Tony Robbins stuff, or this is not psycho self-help about visualizing success or anything like that. These things that Paul is telling us about here that are going to grant us peace is Godward, God-centered, kingdom-oriented things or virtues for you to think about. In, in other words, the happiness of your life is going to depend on the quality of your thoughts. That's quotable. If you're taking note, that's a good one. I'm going to repeat it again. The happiness of your life is going to depend on the quality of your thoughts. Assuming you're thinking good and godly things. And church, here's another thing. I neglected to mention this last time. This issue of the Christian's peace and joy, it's so critical to your everyday life. Because aside from learning how to be happy and rejoice, that's huge in the Lord. This practice, this discipline of thinking is going to help you defeat depression. Depression. Anxiety and fear, folks, often result in depression. The Bible knows that and says that in Proverbs chapter 12, talking about wisdom, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. It's depression, despair. But a good word makes him glad. Or how about chapter 15 there, while we're in Proverbs, verse 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. So what we're talking about here is the discipline of thinking. And the end of verse 8 then tells us to think on the things that we're going to run through right here in a moment. Now let's talk about that word thinking. Other translations render that as let your mind dwell, be at home with certain thoughts, ideas. I like the King James here. The new King James says meditate on these things. We have a small group of men that was just really meditating on that idea, looking at that discipline. What does it mean to meditate? 
It's not transcendental medito- uh, meditation or like a yoga kind of a trance. You're, you're in that lotus position, um, bop, did it, that kind of thing. That's not it. That's not what I'm talking about. You know why that's a little goofy? Because that practice is about emptying your brain, right? Christianity is the reverse. It's about filling your brain, what you fill it with. So what we're talking about with meditation is talking about thinking hard, lingering over what you read or hear, pondering God's truth, not just letting it pass by, including what you're hearing today. Paul warned Timothy about that. He said in 2 Timothy 2, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We're thinkers, people. A lot of people today in the culture don't think Christians are thinkers. It's quite the opposite. It's a thinking faith. And you can tell that by the way God has revealed himself. God's revealed himself in two basic ways. So it's good that you get this because you're going to need to share this with people sometimes. We have general revelation and we have specific revelation, as theologians call it. What do I mean? General revelation is basically creation and conscience. Pastor George talked about it today. It was in the hymn we sang. If you look outside and you see the beauty and the complexity of the world, you can say, wow, that looks like architecture. There must be an architect. There is design. There must be a designer. So God is revealing that to the entire world. It's a, it's a work of common grace. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, and the sun shines on the just and the unjust. That's general revelation. Everybody gets that, generally speaking. Then you have specific. If you have a Bible on your phone or whatever, as I do, this is specific revelation. This is the specific way in which God has chosen to reveal himself to his people. It is the source of the mind, the character, the attitudes of God, his story, what I like to call redemptive history. Everything you want to know about man, sin, redemption, the consummation of everything in the future, and Christ being in all of it, it's in specific revelation. And to get it, to understand it, you've got to read it and think about it. You have to think. The Christian faith, again, is not blind. Isaiah in his prophecy told the people, let's reason together with God. Right? Faith. So you get the flow. Faith is not blind faith. Your faith is only as good and true as the person or the object that you place your faith in, that you trust in. So that means trust comes with knowledge. It comes with thinking, understanding who it is you believe in and why you believe in them or him. And then that leads to your feeling and deciding. Uh, As I've said before, I came to Christ three decades ago, largely through a process of thinking about what the Bible said about Jesus, about God, me, my sin. I thought about it meditated on it, I chewed on it, checked it out to see if the claims of Christ and especially his resurrection were true because I reasoned if Jesus really rose from the dead, okay, God in the flesh rises in the dead, rises from the dead. If he rose, then everything else that's in here connects, makes sense. So I had to reason through all of that. Our, our faith is reasonable. And it's based on propositional truth. 
truth, propositional statements and claims are made. So reading the word, thinking about it, what you're reading is meditation on the word. We have a phrase for that in our church. It's called eating Bible. When you break down a meal, you cut it in big or small pieces, and they should be smaller than bigger in that sense, and you should eat them and chew on them as you swallow. It's the same idea with the Bible. You cut it up, digest it, and I'm going to put it this way for this message. Reading, meditating on the Word, eating Bible like food is going to satisfy you. God's going to fill you up. And what Paul is promising is here, what he's going to fill you up with is peace and joy. Remember Joshua 1.8? says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that's written in it. For then you will make your way, what? Prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Success in this context is peace and joy. Don't let the world determine your thinking. Let God's word do that. You have to understand something. The goal of the anti-God world system that we're in, that we live in, is under the leadership of the enemy. (laughs) He wants to control what you do. Listen, by controlling what you think. Because we said the thinking leads to the doing. He wants to use trendy, hip, mediums, methods to control your mind. Once he dominates what's in your head, folks, he knows your heart and your hands and your feet are going to follow. The hands, the heart, and the feet follow the head. Can't understate that. Pause for a second. Consider what's going on in the mind of sex traffickers, deviants, serial or mass murderers, dictators. That stuff doesn't come out of nowhere, more often than not. Jonathan Edwards put it this way many years ago. Quote, the ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. End quote. That is so true. This is the point. Every sin starts in the mind. So much of the moral sexual revolution that we see is influenced by what people are seeing on the internet or platforms like TikTok and other social media. There's just a lot of anti-God garbage out there that we're absorbing. So we have to be discerning, discriminating about it. So what Paul's getting at is that the Christian's thought life determines whether or not you are either going to be worried or you're going to be at peace. In fact, the thought of Hebrews parallels this. It says there in that book, we can run the race of life by endurance, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. You run the race by looking at Jesus. So if you're thinking on these eight kinds of things we're going to look at now, you're fixing your eyes basically, in essence, on Christ and his kingdom. Therefore, promises you're going to have the God of peace in everything. You'll be able to rejoice in everything. So we're going to quickly make some quick comments looking at these eight things to think about here, one by one. These are peaceful thoughts that will help us rejoice in everything. He says, whatever is first, true. Whatever is true, that simply means whatever's genuine, whatever's real. What's real? Jesus is real. His, the Son of God 
He is, he said, the way, the truth, the life. Whatever Jesus said and did is absolutely true. So think about that. Think about him. Think about his promises, like Romans 8, 28. Think about his love for you and victory. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 that talks about the fact that Christians are walking in like in line, marching on in victory. That's a truth you can remember. Second thing to think about, whatever is honorable, whatever's noble, whatever's honest, worthy of respect, reputable. Try to think about things like that. One way it's, it was uh, translated, that word, and thought of is in 1 Timothy 3.11. was talking about women and their conduct there. And Paul said this, wives must be dignified. Same word as honorable. Not slanderers or gossips, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So he contrasted that to show us what honorable means. Third, think about whatever is just or right, righteous. That's simply whatever is in perfect harmony with God's eternal, unchanging word and his standard of righteousness. Um, use this idea, by the way, this thought when you're thinking about entertainment, again, that you're going to take in. Listen, you don't have to watch nothing but documentaries and fill your mind with that. I get it. I'm not being legalist here. But, so there is a time you want to rest and relax, and I get it. But remember, you do need to pay attention to what you're looking at and what is coming into your mind. You have to guard your heart and your mind if you're interested in peace. Next is pure, along the same line. Think about what's holy, wholesome, pure, like God, the Father, the Spirit, the Son, you know, the Trinity. His glory, His perfections, that's pure. Think of a, here's another synonym. Think of the word clean. Clean words mean clean deeds. Did you know this? Check this out. The average person has 10,000 separate thoughts every day. That's what they say. I don't know who they is, but that's what they say. <laughs> you always get that, right? But that works out to be three and a half million thoughts a year. So if you live to be 75, you're going to have over 26 million thoughts. Wow. Already, most of you, in fact, by that math, have already had 2,000 separate thoughts since you got out of bed this morning, and you're going to have another 8,000 today before you hit the sack tonight. And then it's going to start over all over again tomorrow. The principle, knowing that, behind Paul's words is simple. Sin always begins in the mind and your thoughts. So what are they going to be? What are they going to bring you? Holiness. Think about holy. Think about pure things. Next one is something we thought about this morning. We've already referred to it, creation. What is lovely? Think about pleasing things, gracious things. What is winsome? Winsome's a good old word. It simply means what's attractive. God's creation is beautiful. That's another way of putting it. Children are beautiful. Beautiful to look at. Things that are appealing. Think about those things. Paul's saying that'll bring you peace. Common grace, family, loving relationships too. But especially think about the beauty, the loveliness of your relationship with God. If you have one with him. Like Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life, the psalmist said to God. In your presence 
There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Being with God is supposed to be pleasurable. Brings joy. And that's a lovely or beautiful thing to think about. Almost done. Commendable. What is, what is good? What is admirable? Psalm 101.3 says, I will not set my eyes before anything that is worthless. There you go again, talking about entertainment. I mean, that's big for us today. We can't avoid it. How commendable, how admirable are the programs, the videos you're watching on YouTube? What about the music you hear and the lyrics? How admirable is it in God's eyes? Commendable. What is excellent is the next one. Quality. What is a virtue? I'll tell you something that's of great quality. I love to think about is the power of prayer. Just the power of prayer. Jesus said this, our Lord, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. And then he says in verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven good, give good things to those who ask him? That's an excellent thing. That is a quality thing to think about, you think? Finally, what is worthy of praise? What can you worship, thank God about? What can you approve of? Okay. God's character, we said that, his attributes, his provision. You do that with your prayers of thanksgiving here in this passage of ours? His word. I think Psalm, I think Psalm 19 sums that up really well. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, that means His commandments, are right, rejoicing the heart. You get that? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. All of those things are worthy of praise. Think about the word. Think about the precious gift that it is, that God chose Himself to reveal Himself. Chose Himself to reveal himself in a book, 66 books in one. Christ, listen, I can sum it up this way. Christ-like peace and joy comes from Christ-like character, which is shaped by having Christ-like thoughts. Christ-like peace and joy comes from Christ-like character, which is shaped by thinking these Christ-like thoughts. Jerry Bridges, he wisely counseled this. He said, quote, we must not allow our emotions to hold sway over our minds. Rather, we must seek to let the truth of God rule our hearts. Our emotions most become, must become subservient or submissive to the truth. Don't let, generally speaking, your heart, meaning the emotional part, what you're feeling, lead you. Let your mind lead you and let your heart, your emotions, your feelings come alongside. They will confirm. But don't let it lead because the emotions are too subjective, folks. We have to be thinkers. Christians are thinkers because it's based on historic truth. Right thinking means right living means right peace and joy. 
And when you're thinking, don't think about making a decision. Well, does it work? Or don't think, how does this make me feel? Secondary. So let's, after talking about these commands to think, real quick, go back to the text, verse 9, and we're done. The command to practice. The command to practice. What you have learned, Paul says, and received and heard and seen in me. Here it is. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So to paraphrase, kind of like a a few modern translations put together, it's kind of like saying, keep putting into practice, Paul's saying, everything and anything good and godly you've heard me see, that you've heard me do, that you've heard me say, put it into practice. And if you do, make it the habit or the practice of your life, the pattern of your life. And if you do, the God of peace will be with you. That's the deal. And Paul had said this before about this imitation thing. Everybody follows and models to an extent their behavior influenced by someone. Paul said, just go back in chapter 3, verse 17 of this letter, and Paul had already said, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, he said, Brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. So, listen, we all need, folks, godly good examples to imitate, don't we? It's no different than in families. Children need godly fathers and mothers, don't they? Young fathers, young mothers need godly older men and women that they can look up to and imitate. That's why we encourage, by the way, young adults, 13 and over or around there, to be part of our shepherd group meetings with the men. It's based on this text and others like it. It's Discipleship 101. The idea is you read and you hear teaching, you seek to understand it, and you see how it's applied rightly in the lives of other people, how it's lived, and then you go and imitate it. So Paul's simply saying to the church, look, I've put this into practice. I've obeyed the commands when I was starting to feel anxious or worry like you do. I prayed with thanksgiving. I'm praying with thanksgiving on what I'm dealing with, and I'm thinking about God, about Christ and his kingdom. Therefore, I am at peace, and I'm able to rejoice always. That's, that's the flow and to feel it. Go and do likewise, is what he's saying. That's just a big idea of this text. It's like he's saying, if I can do this, you can do it. Do as I say, or as I'm writing you, do as I do. He obeyed the commands to pray and think. He put them into practice on an ongoing basis. When you practice this, you discipline yourself to do this, it's ongoing. Okay? That's why it's a discipline. You have to seek after it. If you do that, the Lord will reward you with his peace. It's a promise, I'm telling you. He put it this way. It's put this way in Proverbs chapter 2. I think it's the last, almost the last text we'll look at. Verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And if you look closely here, 
back in the text here in Philippians, there's like the flip side of the comfort he mentioned in verse 7. He talked about you'll have the peace of God. Peace of God, that's the experience that comes from God. But here in verse 9, there's another kind of a peace here. He says in another sense that the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace is going to be in you if you obey and practice these commands. That's amazing. In Christ, you can have the peace of God and the God of peace now in you. I love that. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians also wrote this. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So peace is the opposite of confusion, folks. Instability. It's the opposite of worry. That's what we're talking about, and that's what you want. So the thinker that has the mind of Christ has the ability, listen, to push anxiety out of your mind and replace it with peaceful thoughts. Something's going to be in there. It's either going to be God's word or the world's word. It's going to be peace or it's going to be anxiety, but something will be in your head. You determine what's going to be in there. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Law. Law. It's got to be in your head. If it's in your head, it's going to be in your heart, and you're going to work it out with your hands and feet. And you're going to have peace. Now, I know this takes practice. That's the idea. It takes persistence. But as you go on doing it, it's going to get easier and easier. This is why we talk about that, that TAG, time alone with God, devotions, hearing it in the car, audio Bibles. Just let the word continually to just flood your mind and your heart. You can't let your minds have free reign and just go wherever because it's often going to go in a bad place. This is why in spiritual warfare, the Lord says we have the helmet of salvation. you got to put it on. So, put them into practice. And if you do, like Chuck Swindoll said, you can overcome anxiety addiction. The Word is the first medicine that you should be looking at for worry. God and His Word. It doesn't come, the ultimate ready, remedy for anxiety and worry is not a bottle it's not drugs. Don't go there. The world doesn't have your prescription. It has band-aids. That's it. This text is saying Jesus has the prescription. Jesus is the remedy to anxiety and worry. So as I close, as far as we know, Mahatma Gandhi, you might remember that name, famous 20th century peacekeeping Indian spiritualist. He never became a Christian, but he made a statement that people that follow Christ should pay some attention to. When he was asked to put into a message what his life's message was in one short sentence, he said this, my life is my message. That actually should be Christ talk for Christians. We are followers who should live in such a way, including how we deal with worry, so as to lead others to Christ. We've told you already, the idea of being close to the God of peace goes with that first five application, the Lord being at hand. That's an encouraging truth. God is with us. He's in us. If, if, if you are in Christ, meaning you enjoy a personal saving relationship with him as your Lord and Savior. I have to tell you this before we're done. 
If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, there is no peace for you. None that is lasting and real. Now or in eternity. If he doesn't save you. You will not have peace with God. If you don't have peace with God, he's going to still be your enemy. That's what scripture said. I didn't make that up. Right now, if you're not a Christian, your father is not God. I don't know if you know that. Jesus said very clearly, your father is the devil. That's not a place of peace to be in, is it? So any kind of peace unredeemed people get now is temporary. It's worldly. Fleeting. Right? And it's false. False peace. You've heard the people, they're in the midst of mayhem and craziness, and they're like, everything's fine. Everything's good. I'm in total peace. That's, that's false peace. Whereas, but God's word, Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. No peace. And when Jesus comes back, hopefully sooner than later, Paul said of that time, this is what's going to be like, 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage. 